At home in Moscow, everything was in its winter routine. The stoves were heated and in the morning it was still dark when the children were having breakfast and getting ready for school and the nurse would light the lamp for a short time. The frost had begun already. When the first snow has fallen, on the first day of sledge driving it is pleasant to see the white earth, the white roofs to draw soft delicious breath and the season brings back the days of one's youth. The old limes and birches, while with horse frost, have a good-natured expression, they are nearer to one's heart than cypresses and palms, and near them one doesn't want to be thinking of the sea and the mountains. Gurov was Moscow-born. He arrived in Moscow on a fine frosty day, and when he put on his forecoat and warm gloves, walks along Petrovka, and when on Saturday evening he heard the ringing of the bells, his a recent trip and the places he had seen lost all charm for him. Little by little he became absorbed in Moscow life, greedily read three newspapers a day and declared he didn't read the Moscow papers on principle. He already felt longing to go to restaurants, clubs, dinner parties, anniversary celebrations, and he felt flattered at entertaining distinguished lawyers and artists and at playing cards with the professor at the doctor's club. He could already eat a whole plateful of salt fish and cabbage. In another month he fancied the image of Anna would be shrouded in mist in his memory and only from time to time would visit him in his dreams with a touching smile as others did. But more than a month passed, real winter had come and everything was still clear in his memory as though he had parted with Anna only the day before. And his memories glowed more and more vividly, when in the evening stillness he heard from his study the voices of his children preparing their lessons, or when he listened to a song or the organ at the restaurant or the storm howled in the chimney, suddenly everything would rise up in his memory, what had happened and the groin and the early morning with the mist and the mountains and the steamer coming from Theodosia and the kisses. He would pace a long time about his room, remembering it all and smiling. Then his memories passed into dreams and, in his fancy, the past was mingled with what was to come. Anna didn't visit him in dreams, but followed him about everywhere like a shadow and haunted him. When he shut his eyes he saw her as though she were living before him, and she seemed to him lovelier, younger, tenderer than she was. And he imagined himself finer than he had been in Yalta. In the evenings she peeped out at him from the bookcase, from the fireplace, from the corner. He heard her breathing, the caressing rustle of her dress. In the street he watched the woman looking for someone like her. He was tormented by an intense desire to confide his memories to someone. But in his home it was impossible to talk of his love, and he had no one outside. He could not talk to his tenants nor to anyone at the bank. And what had he to talk of? Had he been in love? Then, had there been anything beautiful, poetical, or edifying, or simply interesting in his relations with Anna? And there was nothing for him but to talk vaguely of love, of, of women, and no one guessed what it meant. Only his wife twitched her black eyebrows and said, The part of a lady killer doesn't suit you at all. One evening, coming out of the doctor's club with an official with whom he had been playing cards, he could not resist saying, If only you knew what a fascinating woman I made the acquaintance of. 
The official got into his sledge and was driving away, but turned suddenly and shouted, Dmitri! What? he answered. You were right this evening. The distortion was a bit too strong. These words, so ordinary for some reason, moved Gurov to indignation and struck him as degrading and unclean. What savage manners, what people, what senseless nights, what uninteresting, uneventful days. The rage for card playing, the gluttony, the drunkenness, the continual talk always about the same thing. Useless pursuits and conversations always about the same thing absorbs the better part of one's time, the better part of one's strength, and in the end there is left a life groveling and curtailed, worthless and trivial, and there is no escaping or getting away from it, just as though one were in a madhouse or a prison. Gurov did not sleep all night and was filled with indignation, and he had a headache all next day. And the next night he slept badly. He sat up in bed thinking or passed up and down his room. He was sick of his children, sick of the bank. He had no desire to go anywhere to talk of anything. In the holidays in December he prepared for a journey and told his wife that he was going to Petersburg to do something in the interest of a young friend. And he set off for the small town where Anna lived. What for? He didn't very well know himself. He wanted to see Anna and talk with her, to arrange a meeting if possible. He reached the town in the morning and looked the best room at the hotel in which the floor was covered with grey army cloth and on the table was an inkstand, grey with dust and adorned with a figure on horseback with its hat in its hand and its head broken off. The hotel porter gave him the necessary information. That von Diederich lived in a house of his own in Old Street. It was not far from the hotel. He was rich and lived in good style and had his own horses. Everyone in the town knew him. A porter pronounced the name Diderits. Gurov went without haste to Old Street and found the house. Just opposite the house stretched a long grey fence adorned with nails. One would run away from a fence like that, thought Gurov, looking from the fence to the windows of the house and back again. He considered today was a holiday and the husband would probably be at home. And in any case it would be tactless to go into the house and upset her. If he were to send her a note, it might fall into her husband's hands and then it might ruin everything. The best thing was to trust to chance, and he kept waking up and down the street by the fence waiting for the chance. He saw a beggar go in at the gate and dogs fly at him, then an hour later he heard the piano and the sounds were faint and indistinct. The front door suddenly opened and an old woman came out followed by the familiar white Pomeranian. Gurov was on the point of calling to the dog, but his heart began beating violently, and in his excitement he couldn't remember the dog's name. He walked up and down and lost the grey fence more and more, and by now he thought irritably that Anna had forgotten him, and was perhaps already amusing herself with someone else, and that that was very natural in a young woman who had nothing to look at from morning till night but that confounded fence. He went back to his hotel room and sat for a long while on the sofa, not knowing what to do. Then he had dinner and long nap. How stupid and worrying it is, he thought, when he woke and looked at the dark windows. It was already evening. Here I have had a good sleep for some reason. What shall I do in the night? He sat on the bed, which was covered by a cheap grey blanket, such as one sees in hospitals, and he taunted himself in his vexation. So much for the lady with the dog. So much for the adventure. I am in a nice fix. That morning at the station a poster in large letters had caught his eye. The geisha was to be performed for the first time. 
he thought of this and went to the theatre. It is quite possible she may go to the first performance, he thought. The theatre was full. As in all provincial theatres, there was a fog above the chandelier. The gallery was noisy and restless. In the front row, the local dandies were standing up before the beginning of the performance with their hands behind them. In the governor's box, the governor's daughter, wearing a boa, was sitting in the front seat, while the governor himself lurked modestly behind the curtain with only his hands visible. The orchestra was a long time tuning up. The stage curtains swayed. All the time the audience were coming in and taking their seats. Gurov looked at them eagerly. Anna too came in. She sat down in the third row, and when Gurov looked at her his heart contracted, and he understood clearly that for him there was in the whole world no creature so near, so precious, and so important to him. She, this little woman, in no way remarkable, lost in a provincial crowd with a vulgar lorgnette in her hand, filled his whole life now, was his sorrow and his joy, the one happiness that he now desired for himself. And to the sounds of the inferior orchestra of the wretched provincial violins, he thought how lovely she was. He thought and dreamed. A young man with small side whiskers, tall and stooping, came in with Anna and sat down beside her. He bent his head at every step and seemed to be continually bowing. Most likely this was the husband whom at Yalta, in a rush of bitter feelings, she had called the flunky. And there really was in his long figure, his side whiskers and the small bald patch on his head, something of the flunky's obsequiousness. His smile was sugary, and his buttonhole there was some badge of distinction like the number on a waiter. During the first interval the husband went away to smoke. She remained alone in her stall. Gurov, who was sitting on the stall stool, went up to her and said in a trembling voice with a forceful smile, Good evening. She glanced at him and turned pale, then glanced again with horror, unable to believe her eyes, and tightly gripped the fan and the lorgnette in her hands, evidently struggling with herself not to faint. Both were silent. She was sitting, he was standing, frightened by her confusion and not venturing to sit down beside her. The violins and the flute began tuning up. He felt suddenly frightened. It seemed as though all the people in the boxes were looking at them. She got up and went quickly to the door. He followed her, and both walked senselessly along passages and up and down stairs and figures in legal, scholastic and civil service uniforms, all wearing badges, flitted before their eyes. They caught glimpses of ladies of fur coats hanging on pegs. The draughts blew on them, bringing a smell of state tobacco. And Gurov, whose heart was beating violently, thought, Oh heavens, why are these people here in this orchestra? And at that instant he recalled how when he had seen Anna off at the station he had thought that everything was over and they would never meet again, but how far they were still from the end.